children this morning to Kids Church. We're excited about a few things that are going on during this Christmas season. We have our Christmas party uh, that will be this coming Friday. Is that right, Natalie? This coming Friday. Uh, If you have not yet uh, been contacted by my wife uh, asking if you are coming to the party, uh, it's simply because you've not checked your email. Uh, And so uh, we would, uh, looking forward to our Christmas party as we do every year. Uh, That's this Friday at 6.30. Uh, We're also looking forward to uh, the kids that will be singing in a couple of weeks. Uh, I was in here as they performed. Uh, And one thing's for sure, the volume is louder than last year. Uh, And so uh, we are looking forward to that. Uh, Christmas season is always uh, a great, uh, great season this morning, uh, or this season uh, for us to celebrate the love of God. Chris, can you turn me down just a little bit? I feel like I'm a little loud. I know I'm always loud, but... If you have your Bibles this morning, I encourage you to open up to the book of Romans, chapter 5. We will be looking at Romans, chapter 5, verses 5 through 10. Uh, As we look at the theme of love, our second Sunday of Advent, last week we looked at hope. And this week we will look at love. Romans chapter 5, verses 5 through 10. And hope does not disappoint. Because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. For while we were still helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if while we were enemies of God, we were reconciled through death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Let's pray. God, as we see this passage, Lord, we are compelled to love others. Lord, your word tells us that you love, that you loved us so much that you sent your son to die on the cross for us. Lord, may we know that love this morning in a very tangible and very practical way. Now, may you speak to our hearts this morning through your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I pray that as you leave this morning that you will know the extraordinary love that the Father has for us. Uh, I've said this before and I'll say this again. Uh, there is there's no love that, that we know on earth greater than the love that we have for our children. And, and as parents, uh, as my mom and dad told me whenever I was a child, they say, you don't have a concept, you don't have a clue how much we love you, and you won't know until you have your own kids. And as a, as a child and even as a young adult, I thought, I, 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 know, I know what love is. I, I, I love my siblings. I love my parents. I love my, even at that time, I love my wife. 
but there is a peculiar love that a parent has for his kids and and those of you who are parents understand that you we we know that and as we talk about the love of god it's it's strange and difficult to wrap our brains around the reality that god's love is exponentially greater than any human emotion that we have here on this earth that even the the great love that we have for our children or the great love that we have for our spouse is dwarfed by the love that God has for us, His creation, His people. And so this week, as we leave, as you leave, I pray that you will leave knowing the extraordinary love of God. Last week's theme dovetails very nicely into this week's theme. Last week's theme was hope, and hope is a powerful emotion. However, hope can leave us disappointed, it can leave us depressed, It can leave us despondent if we place our hope in the wrong thing. Every year around November, the past several years, there is a sense of hope that envelops this entire city. And it is surrounding a certain football team that plays another certain football team that is in the great state of Alabama. And every year there's this hope that maybe this year will be the year that, that LSU can finally get over that hurdle. And every year, around the middle of November, there is a despondency and a depression that, that, that follows and falls upon the, the entire city of Baton Rouge. And it's just a just this, this, this great sense of, of despair. And... The reason is, is because our hope is placed in the wrong thing. We we have misplaced our hope. Now, that's that's a very silly analogy, but there is a very real application that when our hope is placed in the wrong avenue, in in the wrong aspect, if our hope is placed on something that will disappoint, something that will will not fulfill, then we are ultimately left wanting. We're ultimately left empty, hurting, painful. And so as we look at the beginning of this passage, Romans chapter 5 reminds us, verse 5, that our hope does not disappoint. Why? Because our hope is placed in the love of God. And the love of God does not disappoint our hope is placed in god's in one of god's very primary attributes as we look at the text as we look at scripture we see all throughout scripture that god is described as a god who is full of loving kindness he's full of compassion he's full of mercy he's full of of grace love is one of god's primary attributes and so to place our hope in a God who is faithful, who does what he says he's going to do, to place our hope in one of the characteristics and one of the primary attributes of God ensures that that hope will not be disappointed. I want us to look at a passage in John chapter, 1 John chapter 4. There are two passages that I think, that I think illustrate this very well. 1 John chapter 4 verse 8. The apostle John writes, he says, For the one who does not love does not know God. Why? 
because God is love. And if we skip down to verse 16, the scripture tells us that we have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us, for God is love, and the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. There is a there is a, a synonymity between love and God. God demonstrates love. God, God emanates love. God is the very manifestation of love. And so as we place our hope, our hope is not placed in ourselves. Our hope is not placed in anything other than the God of love. And so I want us to look at this. I want us to look at this whole idea of love. In our culture, we throw out the word love uh, like crazy. I love pecan pie. And every year, my mom makes two pecan pies for Thanksgiving. She makes one for the family, and then she makes one for me to take home. Except this year, she had extra people staying in her house, and I didn't get my pecan pie. And, and I'm, still, I'm still bitter and disappointed. See, my, my, my hope, hope, Hope unfulfilled leaves you, dis- leaves you disappointed. It leaves you in despair. And I am still in, in despair over the fact that I never got my pecan pie. I've only had two slices of pecan pie all year. That, that's, 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 it just should not be. But we, 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 we throw out the word love like crazy. I love pecan pie. I love cheesecake. My, my, my wife, uh, got, she stole Chris Clark's cheesecake recipe, and now she passes it off as her own, and, and it is phenomenal, and, and I love cheesecake. I love fried chicken. You know, my, I have to, my wife won't cook fried chicken for me, so I got to get my mom to cook fried chicken for me, and I love fried chicken. You know, we love our sports teams. You know, I, you, you cut me, and I bleed purple and gold, even though Joel calls me a nega tiger. Uh, I, I am... I am an LSU fan through and through. I love LSU. And here recently, I love the Saints. You know, you, you used to not be able to admit that in public, uh, but, but we love our sports teams. However, love is not marked by an emotion. In fact, the Scripture gives us some very clear definitions and some very clear parameters as to how love is manifested. If you skip down to verse 8 of Romans chapter 5, it says, But God demonstrates His own love towards us. The true test of of love is not how we feel, but how we act. The true test of love is not how we feel, but how we act. As young people, we use the term falling in love. You've heard me say this before, but it's worth saying again. You don't fall in love. You fall in a hole. You fall in a ditch. Those emotions, that infatuation is just that. It's infatuations, it's emotions. Love is characterized by action. Love is characterized by selflessness. Love is characterized by sacrifice. 
God demonstrates, He proves His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. As, as we were growing up, our parents proved our love for us and that they did without so that we could have. They, they sacrificed to give us a better life. That is the demonstration of love. And so here's the question I have for us. If we understand that love is not an emotion, that love is not a feeling, nausea is a feeling, indigestion is a feeling, love is not an emotion, love is not something you feel, love is an action, love is something that you demonstrate, love is something that you do. So here's the question I have for us. How have you demonstrated your love to your spouse? Husbands, how have you served your wives. The scripture tells us husbands love your wives just as Christ loved the church. Well, how did Christ love the church? I'm so glad you asked. God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so, husbands, whenever your wife is irrational and illogical and 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 she's she's makes no sense and she's she's but 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 preacher, you don't understand. She's just crazy. God demonstrates his love towards us while we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. It doesn't matter how irrational, it doesn't matter how, how, how she treats you. Husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church. Serve her. Place her wants, her needs, her desires before your own. Wives, how have you loved your husband? You say, but preacher, you don't understand. My husband, the only person he cares about is himself. He comes home from work and he, he sits in his easy chair and he expects me to wait on him hand and foot. Wives, how have you loved your husband? Love is not an emotion. Love is an action. How have you demonstrated your love, your care, your compassion to your husband? How have we demonstrated our love to our children? Y'all saw something the other day. It made me laugh out loud. There was, there was a picture, and it was, it was a meme, I think is what, uh, uh, is what it was, and it was, it was, when my children tell me, when my children tell me, uh, you don't love me, or you don't care for me, or you don't, you don't buy me anything, the picture had a light switch with a bow on it, it had a refrigerator with a bow on it, it had the water tap with a bow on it, it had the bed with a bow on it. It, it, it was saying, I, I, I love you, I, I provide for you shelter, I provide for you food, I provide for you clothing, I provide for you electricity, I provide for you water, I take you everywhere you want to go. But the child, the child feels that he's not loved. And so as parents, as spouses, we must understand that in order to communicate love, it takes action. And this is hard for us to understand sometimes. The action that we do to communicate love may not be the action that communicates love to the individual. This is something that's often difficult for, for spouses to understand. My, my wife and I have very different ways of communicating love to one another. My wife feels loved when I spend quality time with her. And so I make an effort to spend quality time with her. 
and, and communicating to her that, that I love you and I want to spend quality time with her and that communicates love to her. And, and it doesn't matter, you know, buying her gifts and doing these other things that, that may communicate love to me does not necessarily communicate love to her. And so I must understand that, that even though I am supporting my children and I'm buying them, uh, I'm providing a roof over their head and I'm taking them all these places and I'm bringing them to their friend's house and I'm doing all these things, that I need to understand that my children need to, need to be communicated that I love them. And so I have to be diligent and I have to understand what action is going to communicate love to them. I'm called to love my children, to love them with the love that God has for us. How have we demonstrated that we love God? Scripture tells us, that we're to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and we're to love our neighbor as ourselves. Those are the two greatest commandments Jesus said. It's easy for us to get laterally focused in this world and focus on loving our spouse and focus on loving our children and our family and our parents and our siblings and our co-workers and our friends. And it's easy to forget that our primary responsibility is to love the Lord. Well, you say, well, that's easy, preacher. I demonstrate my love for God when I go to church. Except church attendance is for us. God gave us the church. God created the institution of the body of believers so that we would be able to gather together, so that we would be able to be encouraged, so that we would be able to pray for one another. And the church... The church is a demonstration of God's love for us. Oh, you say, well, I, I, I tithe, I give my money to the church, and that's my demonstration of my love for God. It's all His anyway. So by you giving God something that, own, that, that, that He owns to begin with, that's your way of loving Him, right? He owns a cattle on a thousand hills. He doesn't need your money. Your tithe your gift, your, your giving is an act of obedience. It's an act of stewardship that we, are, that we are obedient with what God has blessed us with. It doesn't demonstrate your love for God. Oftentimes, it simply demonstrates your legalism. Now, don't misunderstand me. God calls us to be obedient. He calls us to give liberally and lovingly out of what He has blessed us with. But your gift does not prove your love for God. I believe that we demonstrate our love for God when we spend time with Him. Just like any loving parent, what do we long for? We long for our kids to take those phones and turn them off and spend time with us. We want our kids to disengage from their friends, from the media, from, from the world that they are saturated with and have a conversation with us. Sit down and laugh with us. We want our children to spend time with us. And does God not long for His children, those whom He's given everything for, simply to spend time with Him? God demonstrates His love for us by action. And He asks us, I believe through His Word, that He calls us to demonstrate our love by action. Let's look 
at the very nature of that love that God has for us. Verse 8, God demonstrates his own love towards us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Skip down to verse 10. It says, for if while you were enemies of God, you were reconciled to God. This idea that we are enemies of God is foreign to most of us. We don't see ourselves as the enemies of God. In fact, most of us think, you know, I'm a, I'm a pretty good person. I'm not the enemy of God. And yet, the scripture tells us that we were enemies of God. I want us to look at a couple of passages of scriptures. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. This is how Paul describes the church before a relationship with Christ. Look at verse chapter 6, verse 9. <clears throat> 1 Corinthians preacher, not 2 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. Or do you not know that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers shall inherit the kingdom of God. And look at this next passage. And such were some of you. And such were some of you. You say, but, but I'm not a murderer. I'm not a thief. I'm not a fornicator. Really? Jesus said, look at a woman to lust after her. Is to commit adultery with her in your heart. Jesus said, to look at your brother with hatred is to commit murder in your heart. Scripture tells us if we stumble at one aspect of the law, we're guilty of transgressing all of the law. God created us in a perfect world. He loved us, gave himself for us. And we thumbed our nose at him and we said, I know better. I know what's best for me. I'm going to do things my way. We rebelled against the God who loved us and created us and gave us everything. And we worshiped creation rather than the creator. We are by definition enemies of God. Ephesians chapter 2. I don't like the way Paul says it there. Let's look at the way he says it in verse chapter 2 of verses 1 through 5. Ephesians. And you were... Before Christ, you were dead in your trespasses and sin, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is not working, that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of our flesh and of the mind. We were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, being rich, in his mercy, because of his great love, which he has loved us, even when we, even when we were dead in our transgressions, he made us alive together with Christ. Is by grace you have been saved. We are children of wrath. We are enemies of God. When I was growing up, I was, I was a small kid. I mean, I was really small. When I was in ninth grade, uh, I was about four foot eleven, and I weighed about ninety pounds. I was almost Nicholas's size 
uh, whenever I was in middle school. I was tiny. And when I was in high school, ninth grade, there was a kid uh, that picked on me mercilessly. His name was Clint. And, and, and I, I know this guy, and if he, walked in the, if he walked in the door right now, even as a pastor, my blood would boil. In fact, in fact I, may, I may take Alan and I may sick him on him. I may say, get him, Alan. Six foot five, go, 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 go ahead and take care of that guy. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll take the biggest, baddest guys, and I'll, I'll make sure he's taken care of. This guy, there was a, he, he was so mean to me. He picked on me in, in, in high school. He picked on me in the locker room. Anytime he would see me, he would, he would make fun of me. He would call me names. I hated that guy. Fast forward a few years later, I'm pastoring then Riverdale Baptist Church. We have a school, and the plumbing backs up, as it does about twice a year. And so we call the plumber, and in the door walks Clint. And he's there to clean the poop out of my toilet. And I thought, what sweet vindication. This is, this is God smiling down upon me. That here's this guy who used to pick on me. Now he's coming cleaning the poop out of my toilet. It was great. But I can promise you, not one time during my interaction with Clint was there a sense of, you know, I really need to love this guy. It wasn't. It was, it was, this is great. This guy's coming, you know, he's, he, he's, he's where he's at a job with his name on his shirt. And, you know, this poor guy probably didn't even graduate, didn't, you know, didn't even go to college, has, has no education. And now he's coming, you know, the, the, these chickens have come home to roost. It's about time. And after... After he left, there's that Holy Spirit conviction that says, you know, he shows up, and here you are, a demonstration of God's love, God's glory, God's, God's called servant, and you did not demonstrate love to this man. And even... In that moment, as, as sweet as that vindication was there, was, there was a conviction of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus said, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. We look at the nature of God's love. It's easy to love those who love us. It's easy to love as I see Charlotte sleeping in Ashley's arms, it's easy to look at that baby and love her. Because she looks up at mom and dad with those adoring eyes, and, and she there is, there is a bond that's there. And whenever Nicholas crawls up in our bed and he wants to watch a movie with mom and dad, it's easy to love that. It's easy to love those family members, those friends who, who 
care for you and who go out of their way, go out of their way to sacrifice and go out of their way to, to communicate that they love you. It's hard to love those who are unkind to you. And it's hard to love Clint. And we've all got them. We've all got those people who have treated us badly, treated us poorly. In Romans chapter 5, God demonstrates his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. As Jesus was hanging upon the cross and the thieves were hurling insults at him and the soldiers had pulled out his beard and had flogged him mercilessly and had blindfolded him and punched him and prophesied and said, tell us which one is punching you. It stripped him naked. It drove nails through his wrists and through the instep of his feet. As they crucified him, Jesus cried out, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. A demonstration of love. Loving his enemy. God demonstrates His love towards us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We must avoid the temptation to think that we are not God's enemies because we indeed are. What's interesting is that the love that God had for His enemies did not start at the cross. But do you realize that Ruth the Moabitess, from the tribe, from the nation of Moab. Moab was, it's defined, the Moabite people are the enemies of God. And God, long before Christ would ever enter this world, God grafted, He brought Ruth into the family of Israel an enemy of God. He brought her in, and not only did he bring her into Israel, but the enemy of God would be the great-great-great-great-grandmother of Jesus. God demonstrates his love towards us in that he loves his enemies. And you and I are enemies of God. And he loved us so much that he left glory. He left perfection. He put on flesh. He was born a peasant. He lived in poverty. The King of kings, the Lord of lords, left the glory of heaven, walked among us, was ridiculed, mocked by the religious elite, was abandoned and forsaken by his disciples. The high priest of Israel forsook him, turned him over to the Roman officials to be crucified. And God, very God, bled and died so that you and I might have eternal life. He died the death you and I deserve to die that we might live the life that we never deserve to live.
God's love is greater than we can possibly fathom. And what's interesting is He calls us to love like that. We should love like that. We should love our husbands and our wives. We should love our children and our co-workers and our neighbors. And we should love our enemies. We should love Clint. We should love those who have, who have mocked us. Those who have, who have sought to destroy us. We should love them as Christ loved us. There is the challenge that I have for you today. I want to challenge you, church, first and foremost, to understand, wrap your brains around as best you possibly can, the extraordinary love that God has for you. And then through the Holy Spirit, through the power of the Holy Spirit, love others. Jesus said the two greatest commandments are this, love God and love others. As we ponder God's love this morning, let's pray. God, you indeed have an extraordinary love. You love in such a way that is unfathomable. God, I thank you that you loved us so much that you sent your son to die. As we ponder the great love of God, Lord, may, may we worship you. And may we give you the praise and you the glory because you and only you are worthy. God, I thank you that you love me. That you look down from heaven. You saw me in my despair. You saw me in my despondency. You saw me in all my depravity. And you loved me. And you called me unto yourself. Maybe this morning you simply need to come to this altar and you need to thank God that He loved you enough to save you. Maybe this morning God has impressed upon you your need to love your spouse, love your husband, love your wife in a way that communicates the love of God. Maybe God is calling you to love your children in a way that communicates to them the love of God. Maybe God's calling you to love your enemy, to love those who are often difficult to love. As we ponder the great love that God has for us, may it compel us to love others. Lord, we understand that we love because you have first loved us. Lord, we thank you. We pray that you would move in this place this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.